Well, I invite you to turn with me in your Bibles to Joshua 23. We're going to be looking at the last two chapters, first today, uh, 23, and then next week, 24. Perfect timing uh, to look at these uh, uh, two chapters because they're talking about covenant renewal. And, of course, we have the opportunity to, to this morning to renew our covenant with the Lord at the Lord's table. Next week, we're going to be celebrating the sacrament of baptism. And that gives us another opportunity to reflect on our relationship with the Lord. And so these are appropriate chapters to be looking at over these next two weeks. Let's stand together for the reading of God's holy, inspired, and inerrant word. Joshua 23. A long time afterward, when the Lord had given rest to Israel from all their surrounding enemies, and Joshua was old and well advanced in years, Joshua summoned all Israel, its elders and heads, its judges and officers, and said to them, I am now old and well advanced in years, and you have seen all that the Lord your God has done to all these nations for your sake. For it is the Lord your God who has fought for you. Behold, I have allotted to you as an inheritance for your tribes those nations that remain, along with all the nations that I have already cut off from the Jordan to the great sea in the west. The Lord your God will push them back before you and drive them out of your sight, and you shall possess their land just as the Lord your God promised you. Therefore, be very strong to keep and to do all that is written in the book of the law of Moses, turning aside from it neither to the right hand nor to the left that you may not mix with these nations remaining among you or make mention of the names of their gods or swear by them or serve them or bow down to them. But you shall cling to the Lord your God just as you've done to this day. For the Lord has driven out before you great and strong nations. And as for you, no man has been able to stand before you to this day. One man of you puts to flight a thousand since it is the Lord your God who fights for you just as he promised you. Be very careful, therefore, to love the Lord your God. For if you turn back and cling to the remnant of these nations remaining among you and make marriages with them so that you associate with them and they with you, know for certain that the Lord your God will no longer drive out these nations before you, but they shall be a snare and a trap for you, a whip on your sides and thorns in your eyes until you perish from off this good ground that the Lord your God has given you. And now I am about to go the way of all the earth, and you know in your hearts and souls, all of you, that not one word has failed of all the good things that the Lord your God promised concerning you. All have come to pass for you. Not one of them has failed. But just as all the good things that the Lord your God promised concerning you have been fulfilled for you, so the Lord will bring upon you all the evil things until he has destroyed you from off this good land that the Lord your God has given you if you transgress the covenant of the Lord your God, which he commanded you, and go and serve other gods and bow down to them. Then the anger of the Lord will be kindled against you, and you shall perish quickly from off the good land that he has given you. May God bless the reading and hearing of his holy word to us. Please be seated. Well, as I mentioned before, today is all about covenant renewal. God relates to people by covenant. That's the only way he relates to people. Um, and when I say covenant, uh, I mean a, a, a bond, uh, a serious bond, uh, uh, like a marriage where there is uh, a commitment on both sides to the relationship. 
And so I want to ask you this morning, what is your relationship with the Lord? Is the Lord someone you are in a covenant relationship with? Or is he someone that you have in a box and you pull him out when you want God to do something for you? Or is he like a, uh, a puppet that you control, that you try to control, and uh, you want him to do whatever you want him to do for yourself? Um, that's not a good relationship. That's not a good human relationship to treat people like they're puppets or put them in a box and only use them when you want to use them. And God it was certainly, uh, he will never relate to people that way. We, we like to think that. We like to try that. Uh, but God only relates to people by, by a covenant relationship. And that's what Joshua is concerned about here. He's concerned about them, these people. Uh, they've inherited the land, and, and he, he says, look, to maintain your presence in the land that God has given you, you need to maintain your relationship with the Lord. You need to not go and worship other gods, commit spiritual adultery, but you need to be faithful to the Lord. Like you're, you're married to the Lord in, in a sense, and you need to remain faithful in that marriage. And so he's warning them and encouraging them as he dies and they move forward, that they keep up this relationship. Now, of course, we know the history. Uh, they did not keep the relationship up, and eventually they were kicked out of the land when they went into exile several hundred years later. But I want to look at two things today. Um, as we think about our own relationship with the Lord, because the first thing we're going to see is that the Lord initiates these covenant relationships. And, and Joshua reminds them of all the good things that the Lord has done for them. And then Joshua also, secondly, he tells them how they should re appropriately respond to all that God has done for them. So I want to rehearse these things and think about it as it applies to our own lives. First of all, we see God's grace. You, you notice what Joshua's doing here. He's pointing out how God has initiated the relationship. Uh, before Joshua tells you what to do, he tells you what God has already done and has promised to do. So he's reminding them, first of all, of God's grace to them. And there's three things that he says. First of all, in verse 3 and 9 and 10, he tells them how the Lord has fought for them. It is the Lord that has fought for them. All the battles they've won were because the Lord was with them and the Lord fought for them. And of course, the one time when the Lord wasn't with them, the battle of Ai, uh, they failed miserably to a much smaller place, a much smaller city than they had previously beaten in the city of Jericho, which was a fortress. They needed the Lord with them and they were only successful when the Lord fought for them. Verse 3, you've seen all that the Lord your God has done to all these nations for your sake, for it is the Lord your God who has fought for you. And of course that's been repeated all through the book of Joshua. Verse 9. For the Lord has driven out before you great and strong nations. And as for you, no man has been able to stand before you to this day. One man of you puts to flight a thousand. Since it is the Lord your God who fights for you just as he promised you. One man puts to flight a thousand. Now nobody's, nobody's that mean. And nobody's that bad. Nobody's that tough that they can whip a thousand people. But if the Lord's on your side, nothing is impossible. And that's what Joshua is pointing out to them, underlining for them, God is the one who's fighting for you. If you've got God on your side, nobody can defeat you. 
So that's the first thing that he's reminding them of, that the Lord has fought for them. And the only reason they're in the position they're in now is because of the Lord doing it all for them. Now the second thing he, he points out is that they've been given an inheritance. And there's more to come. There's more to come. Verses 4 and 5. Behold, I have allotted to you as an inheritance for your tribes those nations that remain along with all the nations that I have already cut off from the Jordan to the great sea in the west. So already given you a lot of land. The Lord your God will continue to push them back before you and drive them out of your sight and you shall possess their land just as the Lord your God promised you. So they've already experienced the blessings of getting an inheritance. You think about these people. They were slaves in Egypt. Uh, their, their parents were slaves in Egypt. Uh, their parents left Egypt, of course, miraculously through, uh, through the Red Sea under Moses' leadership. Uh, but that unfaithful first generation uh, failed to obey, and they wandered in the desert 40 years. So this generation that's, that's getting into the Promised Land, all they've known is wandering around in the wilderness their whole childhood and, and young adult years. And, and now, for the first time in their lives, they're going to actually be able to settle in a house, to live somewhere, and to have a piece of property that they can call their own. And it's all been given to them by God, and God has promised to give them even more. So he's reminding them that this is an inheritance. It's something that, that uh, someone else worked for, but you're receiving it. You know, when you receive an inheritance from your father, so, say... Uh, he's worked all of his life, built up some money, some land, some property, and now you get it because he's worked for it and you receive it as an inheritance. You didn't do the work, he did. God did the work for them, and now they are inheriting the promised land. And then finally, this great verse, uh, which I think is probably could be considered a theme verse for the whole book of Joshua. Verse 14, and now I am about to go the way of all the earth, and you know in your hearts and souls, all of you, you know in your hearts and souls, all of you, not one word has failed of all the good things that the Lord your God promised concerning you. Not one thing, not one word has failed. All have come to pass for you, not one of them has failed. I mean, that's just putting the underliner on the fact that God is faithful to his promises. God always is faithful to his promises. Never a shadow of doubt about that. And everything that God has told them has come to pass. He is faithful. Now as we think about our own day, our own lives, our own relationship with the Lord... We can look at these same three things and apply them to our own lives. And let's do that now. First, Jesus fought for us, continues to fight for us. We who are his people, who are in a relationship with him. Just think about how he has defeated all of our enemies. The world, the flesh, the devil, sin and death, all have been defeated. Just think about the world Jesus said in John 16:33, I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Jesus has overcome the world. 
The history of this world is his story. He's in control of it all. And one day he will be proclaimed by every tongue and every knee will bow before him and say that he is the King of kings and Lord of lords. And, and it will be true. He's defeated the devil. You think about the devil and the demons that he encountered, the temptation in the desert. Jesus withstood that temptation three times. He refused to give in to Satan's lies. And then anytime he encountered uh, a, a demon and cast them out, he had authority over these demons and he defeated them. And you think about the sin in our flesh, you know, that we struggle with. Jesus defeated that on the cross. If you're in a relationship with Christ, you know, even though, yes, you still struggle with sin, but sin is no longer your master. You're no longer in bondage to sin. You're no longer under the power of sin. You're under God's power. You're under Christ's power. He is your master now. And yeah, we struggle, but sin has been defeated. And then, of course, he rose from the grave. Death itself has been defeated. We don't have to fear that. You know, that's one of the wonderful things about the only good thing that we know that came with James's shocking uh, death this week was that he's with the Lord. He's been made perfect in holiness, and he's beholding the face of God in joy and in light. And he is not sad about it at all. We are, but we grieve with hope because of his faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Death has been defeated. So Jesus fights for us. He has fought for us, and he continues to fight for us because what does the Bible tell us? That Christ intercedes for his people. He is continuing to defend us at the throne of God. That's what that means. He's, he's, uh, he's speaking up for us. He's our, he's our, uh, our lawyer, if you will. Uh, when Satan accuses us, Jesus says, oh no, that one's been declared righteous in my sight. And you cannot accuse him. He's free from sin and from death. So Jesus fights for us. And as we think about that, think about that all that great work that the Lord has done for us and all that he's given to us and secured for us. I mean, it says in 2 Corinthians 1, 18 through 20, as surely as God is faithful, our word to you has not been yes and no. Paul's talking to the Corinthian church and, and uh, you know, they're criticizing him and, and, and saying he's wishy-washy. But he says this, for the Son of God, Jesus Christ, whom we proclaimed among you, Silvanus and Timothy and I, was not yes and no, but in him it is always yes. For all the promises of God find their yes in him. All the promises of God find their yes in him. That is why through him that we utter our amen to God for his glory. I believe it. I trust it. Thank you, Lord. Because in Christ we have yes to all the promises. So today as we Think about our relationship with, with the Lord. First of all, let us remember God's grace and faithfulness to us and his promises. Because not only does he fight for us, but he's given us an inheritance, an eternal inheritance that is undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you. We will inherit the earth. We will have the new heavens and the new earth. We will live with him forever. We will be beholding his face forever as we talked about in past sermons, uh, God has given the Spirit as a down payment, and we're going to get God in the end, forever. A close relationship where we, are, we know 
like we have been known by God. We will know the Lord, and it will thrill our souls for eternity. And then finally, verse 14 is the same thing that we can say about ourselves, though we often doubt this. Not one word has failed of all the good things that the Lord, your God, promised concerning you. All have come to pass for you. Not one of them has failed. It's true. It was was true for them, and it's true for us. God continues to be faithful to his promises. If he said it, it's coming to pass. It's true, and he can be trusted. Now, those are the good things that the Lord has done for us and will do for us. If we are in a relationship with him, he is... (laughs) He is fully committed to us. He loves us. Uh, It's it's a love relationship. And he's not holding back anything for his people. Now, the second part, our response. First, let's look at the response uh, uh, that, that Joshua is calling the people of Israel to make. Three things that he mentions here. Verse six is the first one. Be very strong to keep and to do all that is written in the book of the law of Moses, turning aside from it neither to the right hand nor to the left, that you may not mix with these nations remaining among you or make mention of the names of their gods or swear by them or serve them or bow down to them. So the first thing he's calling them to do is to obey, to do what God has told them to do. Now why is he a killjoy? Is God want to rob you of fun or them of fun or, or to make their lives more difficult? No. He's protecting them. He tells them, if you follow those people's gods, then they're going to be like a snare and a whip on your sides and, and you're going to be miserable if you do this thing, if you are unfaithful to the Lord. God has given you instructions uh, on how to live life the best way. It makes sense. He's the creator. He knows how it all works. He's made it work that way. And he's telling you, do this, do that. Don't do this, don't do that. Why? Because he has your best interest at heart. Always. He's protecting you. Life is difficult. I'm not saying that following the Lord is automatically going to make your life uh, a, a, a garden of roses. No. Life is difficult, but when we we disobey the Lord, we make it more difficult. We make it more complicated. We make it harder. We mess it up. We destroy our lives when we're disobedient. Sin kills. And, you know, it's fun, but it destroys us. So the Lord is not a killjoy. He's protecting us. And that's what he was doing for them. And that's what we need to think about in our own obedience, in our own commitment to the Lord. As we think about renewing our relationship with the Lord here today, as we think about what is my relationship with it? Is it a, is a relationship where I trust the Lord and trust what he's saying, that his way is best? Well, if not, we need to repent and say, Lord, I'm sorry. Not my will, but your will be done, as Jesus prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane. And thankfully, he obeyed the Lord, or else we wouldn't be here today. So, our response, like them, we are called to obedience, because it's in our best interests. 
and it brings glory to God. And the Lord uses that in this world to help others. Now, the second thing that he calls them to do is verse 8. You shall cling to the Lord your God just as you have done to this day. Cling to the Lord. Are you clinging to the Lord? You know, they were called to not go cling to other gods, to attach themselves to other gods, but to remain faithful to the Lord who has fought for them, who has given them this land, who is always faithful to his promises. Cling to him. Don't follow these other gods. Cling to the Lord. You've done well so far, Joshua says, under my leadership, but I'm going to be dying. Cling to the Lord. He's the one that's fighting for you, not me. It's the Lord you need to look to. Same is true for us. Are we clinging to the Lord? Are we attaching ourselves to the Lord? And, and how do you do that? Well, you, you look at the means of grace. We, we talk about the means of grace, the ways that we can know God and grow in our relationship with him. We, we listen to him in his word. You know, we read the Bible. We come hear sermons. We go to Bible studies, etc. Uh, you listen to people that you love. Uh, if you're married to someone and you never listen to one another, it's not going to be a good relationship. Also, you talk to one another. Pray to the Lord. Prayer. Uh, you talk most to the one you love the most, right? I mean, the closest person to you is the person you communicate with the most. So to be close to the Lord, we've got to talk to him. We've got to pray. That's means of grace. The sacraments are a means of grace as well. We're coming to the table this week. We're spiritually communing with the Lord uh, in, in a very real way. Uh, you know, we're participating, but as well, in our spirits, God is strengthening us. We're being reassured of his promises. Or we're re, uh, reassured of our relationship with him, that he invites us to dine with him at his, at his place. And our hearts are strengthened as a result. And that strengthens our relationship with the Lord. It's, it's the rituals of life that we do, those habits that we do. Uh, that tells you what you're clinging to. You know, if you look at your life and, and, and the daily routine that you go through, think about those things that you do every day. And what end are they serving? Uh, are they bringing you closer to the Lord? Or are they pulling you away from the Lord? It's a good question to ask. It's, it's one of those things you've got to sit down for a while and kind of think about it. What, am I, what do I do? Because you are what you love. You know, the things we like to think, yes, I love the Lord, but does my actions actually reflect that I do love the Lord? I mean, is it true? I mean, I can say I love my wife all day long, but if I don't ever speak to her, if I don't ever listen to her, if I don't serve her, um, if I have nothing to do with her, then we don't have a relationship and I don't really love her. They're just empty words. So how are you clinging to the Lord your God? Coming to the table is a reminder of that the Lord has clung to us and that should be our response. An appropriate response is to cling to him. And then thirdly, he tells them in verse 11, be very careful therefore to love the Lord your God. Be, it's, it's an interesting sentence. It's an interesting way he, he phrases it. Be very careful. You know, take care 
be attentive to the fact that you should love the Lord your God and love the Lord your God. It's not, we're not talking about ooey gooey emotions. That's what a lot of people think love is. Certainly there are emotions that are attached to love, but love is an action. Love is expressed in, in what you do for another person. Love is expressed in the, the daily routines of life and, and how you relate to other people. And it takes a conscious effort to do those things that are loving, to show that love, to be in love. It's not something you fall into. I think it's something you jump into. You move into it. You work into it. And that's why we said last week, you know, God is an acquired taste. Taste and see that the Lord is good. You've got to go and taste it. You've got to go and, and taste and see that the Lord is good, or else you won't know that the Lord is good. That's just another way of saying love the Lord. Try him out. Get to know him. See, this is our relationship with the Lord. So we have to be very careful to love the Lord your God because, as we all know, we're inclined to love other things. Calvin said, our hearts are idle factories, I-D-O-L factories, idle factories. We are always wandering away from the Lord and loving the world instead of the Lord. It's a, our natural tendency. It's the old sin nature rearing up its ugly head. So be very careful. Be circumspect about it to love the Lord, your God. Do those things, even if you don't feel like it, do those things that will help you love the Lord. Doing those things is loving the Lord. And I guarantee you, if you move into that further and further, you'll find that your heart is in it because you will have tasted and seen that the Lord is good. We need to be reminded of that because our hearts grow cold. You know, we, our love wanes and it has to be rekindled. You know, just like our rekindling a relationship, you go spend time you go out on a date with your wife. You know, you hang out with your friends that you haven't seen in a while. And your love is rekindled. Go back to the Lord. Spend some time with him. Come to worship. Come, come at 5 o'clock. Hear Shannon preach. Your heart will be warmed. And you will love the Lord your God. So, since God has been favorable to you, as we see here at the table, this is a reminder of God's favorableness to us that he laid down his life, he suffered and died to pay for the sins that we so often flippantly commit. Christ fought for you at the cross, and he died, but he rose again, and he conquered death for us so that we can live forever and have that hope of eternal life. So since God's been favorable to you, follow his ways for your own good, cling to him, and be careful to love him. Let's pray together. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you again for this reminder of your grace to us. And Lord, help us to appropriately respond to you. Uh, to respond by listening to you, obeying you, talking to you, fostering a relationship with you. And Lord, I pray that we would, in doing so, discover for the first time or rediscover the joy of salvation, the joy of of knowing you and walking with you. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.